Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you know this guy from Princess Bride? Right? Please tell me. I mean, you have to have seen this movie. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, the blessed agreement. A dream within a dream. Love, true love, will follow you forever. It occurred to me just this month that people outside the church that don't know me probably think I'm this guy. That's what I do. <laughs> and it wasn't a flattering moment. But I'll tell you, some of the most surreal and transcendent blessings I've had in my life is because of my career as a pastor. I have, when, when I get to officiate a wedding of someone that I've known for some time or the, one of the children of someone I've known, or some, sometimes the children in our church that I saw grow up and they get married and it's, you have to, you have, to have done it. And I, I, I'm sorry that it, this is a terrible illustration, but when you're up here, it's just, it's just three people. It's you and you're talking to a bride and a groom and they're sealing a covenant with Yahweh God. And there could be hundreds of people watching, but it's this small, quiet, sacred, special conversation. It is, it's this intimate thing that you can't experience any other way. I don't, sometimes I just kind of like drift off. And so anyway, during a musical interlude or something, I'll turn off my microphone and, and they're usually kind of scared and I'll settle them down and say like, yeah, be in this moment, slow down, you drink this in. And sometimes I'll say some encouraging words about marriage, that marriage is going to bring you into an interdependent relationship with God that you could not imagine to experience physically or emotionally. That there will be times will, where you will find yourself completely lost in the, in the us, that you are us now, just the two of you. And I'll, I'll say... This day, right here, is the least you're ever going to love each other for the rest of your life. And they're shocked. There's other things I could say that are also true. That, that marriage will crack your soul to the magma. And marriage will push you into places that you don't even know to fear. And the words of your husband or your wife will pierce you deeper than any javelin. So don't mess this up. <laughs> I don't say that second part. <clears throat> uh, how, do you, how do you not mess up a marriage? I'll, here's, here's something just to start with. Like, just keep it simple. Just keep marriage simple. Marriage is simple. The essence of marriage is simple. It's hard, okay? But it's not complicated. It's difficult. Life, life is simple. It really, a lot of life is simple, but it's just painful, right? Life is suffering, the Buddha, he's right. But it's not complicated. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it, the, that value is all around us. Look at a lot of individual sports. They're not all that complicated. They're just really difficult. Golf, I didn't know nothing about this sport, but it looks like there's about five strokes you master those five strokes, you'll be in the masters wearing a green coat. I know a little bit about tennis. Tennis has got about, I don't know, five swings to it. You're really good at those five swings and you're playing before the Queen of England, holding a plate up at Wimbledon. 
Now, jujitsu, I know some things about that, but there's 23,642 moves in jujitsu. <laughs> but if you're the greatest of all time and your name is Roger Gracie and have won international world championships 10 times, he would say, you only have to know, guess, five moves. You only have to know five moves. I mean, I'll admit, if you're going to win the jacket or the platter or wear the belt, you have to be an exclusive athlete and you have to have a work ethic that's compulsive. Okay, okay, that's true. But I'm just saying the sports themselves, they're not complicated. These sports, people aren't coming up with new ways of doing it. They're just doing it better than that's been done before. They're simple, but it's difficult. Marriage, simple and difficult. Marriage, five words. That's it. Break, bond, one, love, respect. Let's say it together. Break, bond, one, love, respect. It all starts in the second chapter of the book of Genesis. God is defining what marriage is. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24, he's going to roll out what's called sometimes the blueprint for marriage. Now, keep in mind, a blueprint isn't a roadmap. It's not how to get there. It is the destination itself. This is what it's supposed to look like. He says this, therefore... Shall a man leave, we're using the word break there, shall a man break with his father and mother, and he shall cleave, we use the word bond, shall bond to his wife, and they shall become, they shall be one flesh. Therefore, a man shall break with his father's mother and bond with his wife, and they will be one. This passage is called a passage of primary reference. And what that means is it is a definition of something that's consequential and is so, in, and so simplistic and true that it transcends millennia and cultures, epics. It, it will always be the definition of marriage. It's used in the Bible five times. The sentence itself is used five times in the Bible as the definition of marriage. Jesus teaches on marriage. He uses Genesis 2.24. Paul uses uh, in his book on Ephesians, he has a section on marriage. He goes to Genesis 2.24. It's timeless, it's relevant. What God said to Adam and Eve, it still applies to us today. And we're gonna use this as a way of making great marriages. And you know, one of the things I'd like you to consider as a supplement in our journey together for the next few weeks on making great marriages is a thing called the couple's checklist. The couple's checklist is put together by a group called uh, uh, Prepare and Rich. We've used that organization for over 25, maybe even 30 years here at Grace Covenant Church. It is the primary relational diagnostic organization in the world. <laughs> it's very good data. And you can go, it costs, there's a link on our webpage. I think even on the front webpage, it'll take you to that. It's $35, takes like 15 minutes. It's for anybody in a significant relationship with someone else, whether you're married or pre-married or engaged or just dating. And it's gonna break up like where you guys are kind of, you know, are you guys working together on things like, uh, communication and conflict and financial ambitions, your spiritual life, please consider spending about as much time or money as you would on a happy hour date <laughs> and look into this and it'll print it out for you and let you know that here's some areas where you might need to work. Today, we're looking at the five words. And the word we're looking at today is the word break, break or leave. What does it mean to break? What does it mean to, to leave your father and mother? Uh, this is going to sting. This one's hard on you parents. Here's the saying. A parent's job is to say goodbye. 
That's fundamentally. A parent's job is to say goodbye, and a child's job is to leave. They got to leave. Break means cutting cords. That's a great definition. It's the idea of cutting cords. Umbilical cords makes an obvious uh, reference here when that cord is cut. But as, as parents, you have like these safety cords and emotional cords and various cords that are connecting for protection, for physical needs and uh, financial needs. And your life as a parent is constantly cutting those cords and you're saying, I don't want you to be connected to me in this area anymore. I want you to, to connect to God in this. I want you to trust God for your provisions now. I want you to disconnect this to me. I want you to learn how to trust God for your protection, not just your provisions. And as a parent, you're constantly working your way into cutting these cords. And, and you know, it'd be great if you didn't have too many cords connected on the day your child gets married. As, as, they're, as they're little kids, you can teach them about financial responsibility and, and start, I don't know, a lemonade stand, and they want to buy a skateboard. So you help them do that, and you learn, you teach them how to trust God, if ever, whether they're going to get sales or up or not. You teach them to trust God for contentment because if they're content, they're already rich. And then it morphs into later on in the teen years as well. You teach your children how to have conflict. We don't, we don't come knowing how to do that well. We know how to do it poorly instinctively, but you could show them in your own modeling at home and then you have something maybe with your brothers and sisters each time you're training them. But at some point you just say, look, I, I need you to learn how to trust God in your relationship with your friend. Two years ago, I would have called the mom and we would have sat down, but I'm not doing that anymore. And I want you to trust God to understand the power of this verse. And this verse is that as much as it's up to you, you need to be at peace with all men. You, you, you do this when you're um, teaching them the power of community and how to make friends. So when you're young and they're super connected to each other, right? You do play dates. What are play dates? I mean, it's all but an arranged marriage in some respects. It's to arrange friendships. I'm going to make sure you pick the right friends and I'm going to pick them for you. <laughs> and so you do these play dates and all that's good because they see the power of community somewhere in there. You know, junior high, high school, you're saying, okay, now you're going to have to learn how to make friends on your own. And you're going to have to learn that you run with the wrong crowd, you're going to die with the wrong crowd. You run with the right crowd, you could end up doing things you couldn't do otherwise. And you need to learn how to trust God for this because there's a tuition that's paid for good friends, and that's loneliness. And so you'll need to, you'll need to learn how to be alone without being lonely because if you're willing to endure that, God will bring you some really great friends. So marriage is this, is this, this idea of cutting cords. It's, it's disconnecting these cords throughout your parenting and your childhood. You're trying to do that too. Let me try this, mom. I think I can do this one now. And a, a, great, a great gift of parents to give to their children when they get married is not just a whole lot of cords left that are connected. You have an interdependent adult getting involved in this relationship. Why, does, why, does it, why is it so important that break or leave is involved in this? And why is it first? Because the purpose of marriage is intimacy. Intimacy with this person you're saying these sacred vows to, but also in your intimacy with God. And intimacy grows in a soil of trust. 
This new couple, they need to learn how to trust at deep levels each other now. And the, the trust they're getting involved in, it requires more than they've ever had before. They haven't needed to do that. And furthermore, it's not just trust by itself. It's abandoning the old trust that you had in a stable, hopefully, just you say a stable uh, family where, you know, provisions and protections and, and all sorts of things are good and all. And now you're going off all by yourself, this new couple, and they've got to start all over again in new ways. And it's not trust for trust's sake. They're going to learn how to trust God together in a new journey that God has for this couple to become connected and intimate with one another. And, and so this, this greater trust that's required, and it's an unknown trust into the scary part, and you're leaving a known trust from behind. And so, listen, it's a trapeze act. It really, I mean, you're swinging from something you do know that works just fine, and you've got to let go to grab onto the next one. You've got to break that relationship tie and confidence to go on to the next journey in your life. You got a break to move on. Oddly, it's easy when you look at the passage where it says, leave your father and mother, that's the King James version. Uh, it, it sounds like you're just leaving. And in many cultures, in modern cultures, it means leave physically. But when it was written, it didn't mean leave physically. It, uh, it, it meant psychologically or spiritually. As a matter of fact, in the ancient Near East, especially when this is written, but for 500 years or whatever, the people, Israel were like nomads. They lived in tents. They were ranchers and farmers. And so when your son or daughter got married, they just moved into the tent next door. That's about as far as they moved, and they're still working the family farm. Later, when things became more civilized, they moved into the cities. They would live in a single house, and they would they would have a, a room to themselves, but still part of the family house. Sometimes if they were wealthy, they would have maybe a, a series of houses and they would live on the plantation or on the ranch and have their own house altogether. But the, the point of, of that is it was never about distance physically. It was about allegiance. It was about you know, the day after those vows are taken, your primary loyalty is not to parents or siblings or extended family or even the family business. It is to this man or this woman that you swore to God that this is the person that's most in your life. And so it's not like cutting off your parents because you said some words to God that you would leave. It's, it's no, it's a, it's a dynamic change in the definition of the relationships. So now the parents aren't like parents. What are they? They're friends. Now you can be friends. And I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of cheating. You're going to the head of the line. You're friends that have known this person their whole life. And hopefully you love them more than anyone else. And you know a lot about who they are and what they like, but you're just friends. And when you act like friends and uh, then there's not as many obligations. They can come over the house or not come over the house. If you make them mad, they might not come back for a while. So you know, you're kind of nicer to friends than you are family, right? Why don't you treat them like friends? Breaking. Break, bond, one, love, respect. Break. It means cutting the cords of dependence a lot. It also means building boundaries. Breaking means building boundaries. 
Before we think of it metaphorically, let's look at it literally. Boundaries, they're a great thing, okay? You buy a house, one of the first things that happens is you have a surveyor come over and he puts flags in the, in the grass or the dirt or the rocks and he just says, this side is your house and your property line, this side is their house and their property line. And that's, that's for, for truth, but it's also for peace and safety. Now there's no kind of question about who's gonna be responsible for what happens where. It's like, this is my side, I'll take care of that. This is your side, that's great. And, and it's to protect. And so the idea of, of, of a boundary, when it, we're talking about now in a marriage where you're cutting or, or breaking, it's, if you would think again, can, can, um, it's the soil of trust, this deep-seated trust, this new trust, think of it as this little seedling that's just getting started. And it needs protective custody, especially when it's young. And so the boundary is, is like setting up those, you know, kind of like a wicker, some kind of boundary set up so the deers don't eat it. So no, nothing comes and tramples it. And the boundaries are to make it strong. It's to keep it safe. Now, I'll, I'll just say on the side, you know, boundaries where you're asking some people or some circumstances stay out of your life when you're newlyweds, especially that's based on jealousy or possessiveness to say, stay away from, you know, from family or friends, that's not biblical. And I remember early in our marriage, I was jealous of some of Melinda's friends and, uh, and her sister because they had so much more fun together. And so we, we couldn't set up a boundary there. That's just petty that needs to be confessed. So it, it's, it's a purposeful boundary to protect the, the delicacy of this newborn trust together. The point of the boundaries is to uncomplicate so these two can bond to one another. Next week, we'll talk about bonding. It's breaking and bond. The cleaner the break, the cleaner the bond. The more entangled the break, still have cords, you know, not cut, then the more difficult the bonding is going to be. So breaking away, setting these boundaries has, it can have to do with uh, just old stuff that just gets in the way. It could be family, family members and siblings. It could be your past, like you should break ties with your ex-boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes, absolutely. Maybe you need to break ties with your old hobbies, hunting and fishing or, or something that took up a lot of your time, whatever that might be. Br breaking is not like leaving everything behind. You know, we're not doing anything for our first year except being with each other. Uh, it, just means, it just means you lo you're looking at that husband, that wife, and saying, I am willing to give up anything for the sake of our marriage. I'm what it, I, I want to do whatever I have to to put this, the growth of our trust to make it a priority. That's what I want to do. It's first. So how do you break? How do you break? Breaking is about primacy and power. Primacy and power. Breaking in primacy, it means I will forsake all others for you. Okay? I will do, I will, you are first in my life. First, the primary thing. And so sometimes, especially when um, it comes to a, a new family and we're talking about in-laws, it's not the big events, but they just kind of show what's a priority. Some kind of can be the little events. Classic, right? Uh, Christmas. Where are you spending Christmas morning? Whose house and why? Okay, what, how about in 10 years from now? Okay, how about this? 
When are you going to have your own Christmas at your house with your children where they wake up? Because uh, friends, <laughs> when you wake up, when you have your own Christmas with your little kitties in their jammies and you can you determine the tone, whether you're going to have cinnamon rolls by a fireplace, you have every, this is your event. You're going to love that day. How do you get there? How many people are you going to upset by making those decisions? And who's going to take the, who's going to take point on that? That's just an example of, of letting other things go. Sometimes it's a choice between uh, family, extended family, and a job. Like the, this job is going to take me out of state and out, away from all of my family. What are you more committed to? Because breaking is boundaries, and that that needs to be discussed. Sometimes it's, it's like, <laughs> it's child raising. If you were raised by going to homeschool, does that mean you, your kids have to be homeschooled? If you were public schooled, does that mean your kids are gonna be public schooled? No, you break those. You put boundaries on that. It's your new family. You start what, what you wanna do. Here's the thing, breaking, leaving, cutting cords, setting boundaries. All of that, all of that is saying this, I will no longer try to win the approval of my parents and my family. I'm primarily trying to win our togetherness. That's what it's saying. They don't count like you count. It's great if both parties are in on this together. It's great if the parents are saying, hey, no, no, you don't have to come here for Christmas. You can do whatever you want. If you wanna come, that'd be great. But if you don't wanna come, that'd be great but you just do what you want to do because a parent's job is to say goodbye. A child's job is to walk away. It, it's asking the question, will you live or die for me in this new relationship or are you still in the pursuit of your parent's pat on the head? Primacy means this. You would rather upset your parents or your big brother than upset the fledgling trust that we're working together. You're willing to hear the phone calls or the snarky emails because you would rather us grow strong. Breaking is primacy. Breaking is about power. It's about power. The idea where you obey your parents, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I mean, those days are gone because you have a new family. You, you have a new, I don't know, umbrella of authority to sit under. I want you to listen to, uh, Dan Allender wrote this in a quote. Uh, it's about how his wife should expect him to behave. And I want you to listen to this. Listen to how she can rest, how she can trust, how she's safe, how she's not threatened, because this is Dan Allender's view about breaking when it comes to power and primacy. He says this, here's the quote. My wife must know that no power exists outside of us that has sovereignty over our lives other than God. No allegiance, uh, my allegiance is not to my kin, ethnicity, country, company, church, or social standing. It is to my wife. Any other perspective puts my wife in a role of competing for my loyalty and love. No husband or no wife should have to compete for primacy, whether it's family or a job or ethnicity or whatever it might be, safety comes, assurance comes, rest comes. 
It means letting old loyalties and values be left behind. I mean, when I, when I was single, I was primarily loyal to work. Well, I, honestly, I didn't have anything else to do. And so when I get married, I have something a lot better to do. And she should not feel like I'm having an affair with the workplace. It means it, sometimes it's just values. You know, you grow up in a, a very affluent family and you could have in your stuff, I will never not be rich. And, then, and that's, a, that's above your mate. And you're making decisions based on that value. Sometimes the opposite's true. You grow up in poverty and you say, I will never be poor again. And you're making decisions, not what's best for the two of you, but what's, how do I get out of this? I'm never going to be impoverished again. Breaking means putting away a boundary, cutting off even past injuries. Boy, wouldn't it be something if we had weddings where people walked down the aisle and they literally carried the baggage <laughs> that they're carrying? Because we all get beat up. We all have a lot of deep wounds when we say our vows. And it's, it's because in those times of injury and, uh, and hurt that as single people, we just go, you know what? I'm going to adapt. I'm going to make this work for me. And it's usually maladapting and it works nicely. But when you get married, it's... <laughs> You, your mate should not have to inherit your baggage. That's not fair to them. And so wait, watch this. Marriage is the means that God uses to, be, to make us like Christ in all of life. Marriage is the primary means that God uses to make us like Christ. Marriage is the primary means that God uses for us to finally get rid of that dead gum baggage. To get, to get it done with. And so it... Your, your, your mate gets to be this, the voice where your voice in your head was the only thing you were listening to and your mate gets to say, what would happen if you completely surrendered to the grace of God? What would happen if the, if the power of the gospel, right, were to be injected into this addiction? What would happen if, what we sang about, if, if the Lord were be, become the Lord of your shame, what if I brought honor into that? I could be the voice of God saying to you, honor is, a, is replaced with that. When I was in, in my doctoral program, our professor uh, uh, was on, uh, it was on, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's on terrible counseling situations, okay? Uh, distressing counseling uh, scenarios. And so on this one, it was about sexual abuse. So he brought his wife in because his wife had been sexually abused as, as a child and a teenager, and they just told their story. And she came into the marriage and, as you would imagine, had considerable difficulties with expressing intimacy with her husband. But that wasn't what hurt her deeply. What hurt her was that man, that man sinned against me, and now he sinned against you. You're having to pay the price for his sins. And she, she didn't know what to do about it, and she couldn't fix it. And this prof was such, he's a saint. Oh, I love the man. He just said to her, he said, but baby, that's what I'm for. You see, yeah, you can't, you can't deal with that without God sent me to you so I could be the voice of the gospel. So the Lord could be the Lord of your past. And we'll work through this and we're going to show how what you once felt was shameful now gives honor to God. And we're going to work through this together and we are going to become like Christ in our marriage, in all of our life. 
when she, when she heard that from him, it was like a road opened up that had never existed previous. And they worked, and they walked down that road together, that journey of healing. That's what they did. Because they knew their place and their, and that they knew, that she knew she had to get rid of that, but she couldn't do it, but they knew they could do it together. Marriage is simple. It is not easy. It is hard. Break, bond, one, love and respect. And break means cutting cords. It means setting up boundaries. It means starting all over again. It's starting new. And everybody needs to know that. When Chip Ingram tells, uh, he teaches on this and he was doing a conference on, he's a national guy. A woman came up after and said, I want to tell you a story about breaking, leaving your father and mother. We were married about two months and we had a pretty good, our first real argument. We're yelling and crying and everything. And I just got in my car and I drove, I drove home. I drove to my mom and dad's house. It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm banging on the door. My mom comes to the door and looks over in through the window. She says, Jenny, what are you doing? She goes, we just had this terrible fight. I can't believe this. I just wanted to come home. And the mom said, this isn't your home. This is where, where dad and I live. Your home was with him. Drive safe. <laughs> Swallowed her pride, went back, probably slept, and then had a talk and worked it out. But she said to Chip, she said, that was the best marriage present we got for our whole wedding time. I learned that that's not my home. Where do you go when things get tough? You're not supposed to run home. Well, that's the whole point of the church. I mean, that's why we're connected through communities here. That's why we're into the thing called relational discipleship. That's why all of our ministries are based on some kind of mentoring, trickle-down wisdom thing. Every one of our ministries. That's why we have pre-marriage ministries. We have a mar- uh, and marriage counseling. We have individual marriage counseling. We have re-engaged counseling. All of those are in the context of mentoring. We have facility. You can join the men's group or a women's group. All of those are going to be talking about marriage issues or someone older than you or same age, but just been through stuff. They're there for you. Yeah, that's the, it, it doesn't work unless you get involved in a local church. It's, it's, it's a big system. It's, it's a way it all works. Let me tell you two exceptions where, and this will carry on for the whole series. I just need to say a couple things that make the five words simple, not so simple. Okay. And, and running home to mom and dad, not, not always the, not the worst thing to do. One is when there's domestic abuse and domestic violence involved. Now those are two different words and they're purposeful. If you're in a relationship or know someone in a relationship that have had domestic violence, They've been choked or pushed against the wall or been slapped or punched by their husband or the wife. That incident is not in isolation. That's called domestic violence, but it's preceded by sometimes months and years of domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is wearing the soul down to take that hit later. And it gets very complicated. And I'm, here's the advice, okay? That if you're in that kind of relationship, you need to not call the pastor or your friends, call the police. Because the police, a second year police officer knows more about how to deal with domestic violence and the abuse that preceded it than a 10 year pastor or your childhood friend that has known you your whole life. They can be kind of a support, but they don't, it is too complicated and it's layers deep. 
and, and certainly stay in touch because the abuser will usually try to isolate the victim so they can talk them back into, you know, redefine what really happened in that event. So stay in touch, but if you're one of the friends, you need to get that person to a professional counselor that specializes in this. And if there's ever a doubt, you call the police. The church, what do we do? Man, we wanna come in and help every way we can, but we're in over our heads. But we can pay for the counseling, we can maybe find a place to say, we'll do everything we can do, but domestic violence with domestic abuse is a, oh, it just, that's the answer. Call the police. A second exception that makes things very difficult is called an overconnected family. And there's a lot of overconnected families in our church. We seem to uh, attract them for recovery purposes because we're trying to show them grace and where boundaries are supposed to be. But if you're an overconnected family, it means that for maybe generations or just, just one, no one leaves. No one leaves. And we do what mom and dad say or else everybody punishes you. And honestly, one of the best things you can do is move a thousand miles away. And two, get a mentor that has survived an overconnected family because the mentor is going to come in and say, that's false guilt, that's illegitimate grief, they're playing you, Here's, let me answer your mail for you. Okay? So those two, domestic abuse and violence and overconnected families, we are, those are over there. We're talking about the other, the, the rest of us. Here's a summary of application. Marriage is a sacred journey of interdependence, intertwining, where God places his spirit in us so that we could co, like, co-journey together in this event of redemption. And, and it's a place where we're leave, leaving almost everything that's comfortable and enjoyable and safe into a whole new, we don't know what, financially, or physically, or what the, where it goes. We're gonna trust God in whole new ways. And it's a beautiful experience. So let's talk about application. When we talk about parents, start right now cutting some cords. Start right now training, teaching your kids to be independent or interdependent, whichever, right? Teach your children how to fail. Read one book on, with the title Grit in it, okay, on parenting. Teach them how to fail. Tell, teach them how to take responsibility. Tell them, look, no, no, this one's going to be on you. Teach them how to, you know, like trust God for these things. Because the parent's job is to say goodbye. And the child's job is to leave. T teenagers, like your junior high and above, junior high to whatever, take responsibility. Learn how to, here's some key life goals. Learn how to make good friends. Learn how to be lonely or alone without being lonely so you can earn good friends. Learn how to have, be financially content because then you're rich. Learn how to develop your own spiritual life. Don't ask your mom to wake you up in the morning. Whatever, wherever this is, start becoming your own adult. Grow a spine. You're gonna need that. You're gonna need it. And then for the married people, here's what I'm asking you to do. For the married people, kindly, Gently, sweetly, with a lot of grace, have this conversation. Ask your mate, what do I need to break from? What do I need to leave? Is there something I need to do that I'm doing and I need to stop doing? How fast? Be nice. What do I need to stop? What's, what do you think is more important than me? 
I don't want to have to compete with your... And then talk it out. Have that conversation. And watch, watch the trust grow and the roots grow deep and see your spiritual life grow and your relationship grow. Parenting, <laughs> parenting is simple and it's so painful. Just like life, it is. We, uh, I don't know what year it was because I don't know what year it is. I mean, it's this COVID thing, I don't know. Anyway, a couple of years ago, maybe last year, I don't know. Anyway, the point is, sorry, again, I just thought, um, Melinda and I, we have two daughters out on the West Coast now. They live in the Los Angeles area. They both drive these little convertibles. And, and, and when we go out there, we just drive around Pacific Coast Highway with the tops down and, and listening to music and stopping at various beaches, you know, constantly playing these like 14 songs over and over again, bonfires at, at Huntington Beach and then somewhere else, just oh, everywhere we go. And, and then uh, the, the playlist is, uh, has a lot of really great, classic rock and roll. And then they have these brand new songs on there from a band called, I think it's called One Direction. So every time One Direction would play, I'd say, wow, that's a fun song. Who's that? And they go, dad, that's One Direction. I said, no, I don't know about that. Yeah. So anyway, the point is we're playing these songs all the time, everything we're doing, having a lot of fun. And I kept forgetting that, that Harry Styles, One Direction guy. So they named the Spotify playlist, Dad's Amnesia Playlist. Okay. <laughs> And I, I, think it's, I think I keep forgetting One Direction because it's a boy band and I don't feel like I should be following a boy band, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a snob, okay? So, so what's great is after the event, we all go home and the girls are playing this playlist while they're driving around and having their dreams come true. And then I'm doing it when I'm doing yard work and Melinda and I drive around for fun. But uh, in October, I was, I was, I was studying in my office and I was playing dad's amnesia playlist. And this, this, like all of a sudden this cold front of melancholy just hit me. And I, I felt like this, this wave of sorrow was coming over me and I was just choking back these tears because I was, I was just looking at the house and it was just so empty and quiet and my girls are gone. I mean, it's this playlist, this, it's this playlist to remind us of how much fun we had together. And all I'm remembering is, is the vacuum that's been left. And so I sent to the girls, I said, I need to change the name of this playlist and change it to, I miss my girls and it's killing me playlist. And so Carrie sent these little sad faces and then they did. There's the new playlist. Uh, it's called, I miss my girls and it's killing me playlist. But I'm, it is a, it is, this is parenting in a playlist. They listen to that and they are reminded of their dream coming true. I mean, they're, they're both, like if they, if they told you what their life is like, they would start crying because one of them is, was working at Disneyland, the other one working in fashion, living in Southern California, enjoying each other, having a great time. They're saying, and they weep when they tell the stories. And when I hear that soundtrack, I just see that they're gone and I'm crying, but it's a good grief. It, this relationship I've had with these girls is just the way it's always been. They're always walking away from me. When they learned to walk, they walked away from me and they have new freedom and I have new loss. 
I crossed the street the first time. It was to go to the other side. New freedom at my cost. Kindergarten, we left them, and they made good friends. And when we fixed their dorms up, they were making it like where they were going to live. And now that they live in apartments, they're calling that home. And every time they left, they experienced new freedom at my expense. And then someday, I'll be wearing this suit, and I'm going to walk one of them down an aisle, and I'm going to say the only thing I'm supposed to say, her mother and I do. And then I'm going to go and sit down, and that'll be that. A parent's job is to say goodbye. A child's job is to walk away. It's simple, uh, but it hurts. But it's good grief. It's good grief. Let's, let's do this right. Let's pray. Well, we, Lord, I, it's hard to pray to you about the pain of parenting. <laughs> I guess you understand all about that. And uh, the innocent, we watch our children lose their innocence as they become grown adults and that weighs heavy. We miss them when they were kittens and puppies. That's heavy. Lord, I'd ask that you would allow us to rise above how we feel and rather be responsible in what we've been asked to do. That you would help us as parents cut cords and as young uh, marrieds cut cords, build boundaries, that we might exemplify what a marriage is, a new adventure of trusting you and living by faith in ways that we couldn't do if you weren't involved. Lord, let us be the healers of our mate. Let us be the special person that that you've brought into these lives so that we could become like Christ in ways we couldn't do otherwise. Let us focus out how to serve, how to care, how to gaze, how to love, I don't know. Lord, we want to make you proud about what you meant when you said you had to break that bond with mother and father so you could bond with your wife and the two would become one to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen.